0: Hey guys, are you anything like me? Maybe a little stressed or anxious while out on the disc golf course? Possibly a little sore and achy after your round? Then you should check out our new sponsors over at Wonderkind. Wonderkind is a team of dedicated young professionals committed to providing quality-insured, lab-tested, full-spectrum CBD products. They're located in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and they're shipping nationwide. Whether you're checking out their relaxing indica tincture, their stimulating sativa, or any of their hybrid strains, Wonderkind always delivers on its promise to upgrade your chill. Have a sweet tooth? Wonderkind also has some of the most full-spectrum gummies on the market. It's legal in all 50 states and always shipped free. Wonderkind makes it easy to find the right product for your own lifestyle. Whether you're looking for that relaxing way to end your day or you need to calm some nerves and add focus into your day, we have something for you. Go ahead and feel good with Wonderkind. Use our code RUNIT15 at www.wonderkindextracts.com. That's W-U-N-D-E-R-K-I-N-D-E-X-T-R-A CTS.com and make sure to check them out on Instagram at Wonderkind Extracts. We thank Wonderkind for sponsoring this podcast and we hope you guys check them out. This is Kale Aviska
1: and you're listening to Running It with Nate Sexton. Running It with Nate Sexton is brought to you in part by Innova Champion Discs, the choice of champions.
0: Hey Disc Golf fans, welcome back to another edition of Running It with Nate Sexton. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. He is the 2017 United States Disc Golf Champion and Innova's very own King Arthur, our host, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how you doing today, man?
1: I'm great, Jared. How are you?
0: Ah, man, I'm happier than a puppy with two Peters. <laughs> I am uh I am ready to go. And uh I dropped that King Arthur reference in there because uh that X Cal now, that's that's a Nate Sexton disc, right?
1: Yeah, man. I'm I'm so excited about that. Just kind of a, a cool opportunity that uh we'd been working towards for a while and yeah, so now, you know, for the foreseeable future anyway, you know, it'll be a signature series disc. So any star X Cal out there in the in the world should have my signature on it and have a cool little sword on there. So yeah, really excited. I've I've never had a a true Signature Series disc before. And that before the Tour Series thing was ever a thing, that's what the Firebird and the Firefly and all those discs are. When I first started, that wasn't even something that companies did. So the Signature Series was like the pinnacle, the top of the mountain that I always wanted to get to. And so I'm just really uh, humbled and happy to say that I achieved that.
0: Now, of course, before we get started with today's amazing interview, we got to pay some bills. And you guys already know, I'm talking about our friends over at FisherDiscGolf.com. FisherDiscGolf.com is the official retail sponsor of Running It with Nate Sexton. You guys know they do their disc stacks live every Tuesday and Friday night. They've moved the start time up to 7 p.m. to make sure you guys can get in there and get your disc stacks selected and not have to stay up late. Also. FisherDiscoff.com is the sponsor of clint calvin and they're going to be releasing his team stamp that's going to be available this friday morning so as you're downloading this show you guys can head over to FisherDiscoff.com, pick up a clint calvin team stamp help support him as he's out there on the road fisher disc Golf has been an amazing support of running it with nate sexton they've got some great apparel out there fisher hats all the gear that you need to go play around, and, of course, 18 different brands of discs to choose from. I've said it before. Guys, if you've gone to FisherDiscOff.com while you've been listening to this show but you haven't done it recently, hop on there. They're constantly updating, getting new discs, new plastic, new apparel in every single week. FisherDiscOff.com. And as a special thank you for listening to this show, Nate, how can they save themselves a little bit of money?
1: Well, as always, we've got our code RUNIT10. That'll get you 10% off your first order at FisherDiscGolf.com. The shipping is always free there. And like we said, they got all the discs under the sun. Hopefully they're going to get a nice big box of those Nate Sexton signature Excalibers as well. So perfect place to pick those up.
0: FisherDiscGolf.com, guys. The best way to support the show is to support our sponsors. Now, Nate, we have a new sponsor featured here on Running It with Nate Sexton. And I know it's one that you're really excited about because you're the kind of guy that likes a likes a tasty snack. And I'm talking about Double G Craft Jerky. Guys, what's better than an amazing beef jerky snack when you're getting ready to play around or just watch some disc golf and know that you're getting an amazing snack while supporting a great player who's out there on tour? Double G Craft Jerky is a little different than any other jerky you're going to be able to pick up at the store. They actually make their jerky from brisket which I don't know how familiar you guys are with your meats, but brisket being one of the higher-end qualities out there, that's how they're making this jerky. If you've checked into any of the episodes of Running It with Nate Sexton, you've heard us on episode 11. We had Garrett on. He told us all about how he makes this jerky, why he makes this jerky, and realistically, Nate and I have just kind of enjoyed snacking on it. So you guys can help support the show and support Double G by visiting doublegjerky.com. Picking up one of these awesome bags of beef jerky. There's four different flavors available right now. A lot more to come. And we are so excited to have them to be a part of this show.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Garrett's a great friend. He's got a great product. It's something that he's been passionate about his whole adult life. And uh, they do some good as well. At 25 cents from every bag is going to the Double G Children's Foundation. And what they're doing with some of that money is buying PDGA junior memberships for kids that don't have the disposable income to do that. So they've already bought six of those. I know that kind of speaks to Garrett's past as well, because he didn't grow up with a whole lot of extra money around the house with his family. So I know he's reaching out, trying to do good things for those kids. And you know, maybe we find the next double G that way. Another incredible talent that, that wouldn't have had the chance to explore our great game without a little bit of help. So shout out to Garrett for making something great for advertising with us and for helping some kids along the way.
0: Yeah, absolutely, guys. I'm telling you right now, this beef jerky is amazing. We did the taste test on the show. If you haven't heard it, go ahead and hit the archives. Episode 11, running it with Nate Sexton, we had Garrett on. Um, in fact, we had the channel sit down and, and try some beef jerky with you. and uh, And you guys really loved it. It's a big hit in my house. My kids love it. I keep ordering more double Gjerky.com, hop on there help support the show Help support Garrett as he's out there on tour. Get yourself an amazing snack. He's got a great team over there. We've been talking to Ted and James, and they've really been helping Garrett kind of facilitate this amazing business while he's out there throwing those bombs on the course. So we want to thank Double G Jerky. Um, just, a, again, an amazing snack coming from an amazing team and doing some awesome things in the disc golf community. Go ahead and check them out. Pick up a bag, uh, support the show, support Double G, and Get yourself something nice in your stomach. Now, before we get into our guest today, I've got to ask a follow-up from the last week and the the previous week. Dude, did you get to drive the McLaren or not? No, I did not. Can Uh, you believe that? Yeah, I can believe it, actually.
1: You want to know Uh, why? You want to know why? why? Because Paul's house that he lives at doesn't have a garage. So his old house where he's got his property and he's building the course and everything and his in-laws live. That's where the McLaren is. We drove over there to take a look at the course and to see the car and just hang out, you know, before my flight out. We get there. We pull the cover off it. It looks amazing. He forgot the keys.
0: Oh, how convenient, Paul. I
1: know. So we couldn't (sighs) even unlock it. We couldn't even swing the doors up and sit in there. We just had to look at it from the outside. So... Kind of a bummer, but also it, it was still really fun to see. And you know, obviously good friend of mine and he's doing so well. And it, it was, I was just smiling to see, see him in his element there going through his course and get to play his brand new design, uh, out there in the public park. That's super tough and just a beautiful course. So it was a fun trip all the way.
0: Now, Nate, I think uh, all your fans by now know that you are a a fan of the Pounds bag. But when you were out in Virginia, it looked like you had the Ounce bag. W- what was that that you had going on there, man?
1: Well, I, obviously, I would have loved to bring my full bag and be able to attack that new course of Paul's um, with it. But that would have meant paying for checked baggage. And so sometimes when I'm going on a trip like this, it's not a tournament, just for a clinic. I just throw a couple of discs into my suitcase that I can put in the overhead bin. So I didn't have room, unfortunately, for my full tournament setup. So yeah, I was rocking the shopping bag out there. I'm one of the hardest courses in the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know what? It still looked good, man. So as I mentioned, I, uh, I don't get nervous often before we, we do podcasts. And I, I don't know if I'm nervous, but I'm anxious and excited for today's episode. I'm like a, a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs right now, man. Who are we running it with today?
1: Well, I mean, we have, I think, really without a doubt, doubt right now, the hottest player in the world. We've got the two time world champion, the six time major champion, my teammate, Mr. Ricky Wysocki. Ricky, welcome,
2: man. Thank you, guys. Glad to be here with y'all. All right. And yeah, I'm super pumped to, to join the show and, and be a part of it.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your Jonesboro prep. I assume you're, you're there in Arkansas getting ready for the DGPT.
2: Yep. Yeah. I just got done, a, done a, playing at the course. Me and Kevin did a practice round and uh, just getting a lot of reps in. That's, that's uh, pretty much my life is going back and forth to the course and my Airbnb and wherever I'm staying for the week and going back and forth to the course, getting as many reps in as I can. That's how I feel the most comfortable week in and week out at these ter- big tournaments.
1: Yeah, and I guess it's working because I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's another year, it's another Texas with Rick. I mean, you, you came out of there, just had me convinced that you could never lose again after, after Belton and Texas States, man. You were incredible. And I got to do the, the commentary live for Texas States. So I was like watching every shot as it happened, just getting so pumped in the booth, taking advantage of my mute button so I could do some fist pumps, all that kind of stuff, man. So, yeah, it was inspiring stuff. You were making so many putts. I went to the course. I think I might have told the story on this podcast, but I went to the course the next day after watching you shred, and I went out there. I'm like, I'm Rick now. I putt hard now, and I got ten birdies <laughs> in a row. So I was like, dang, this this That's is a funny. good. This is the good life.
2: Yeah, it is. It's it's definitely a good life. And yeah, no, for some reason Texas just makes me feel like I'm in my comfort zone all the way around every tournament I play there. So yeah, it was it was a great week, great tournaments tournaments there and it was uh it definitely gave me some confidence heading into the middle part of this year and um and yeah i think that was my sixth texas state win so texas states is always in a new location and
0: yeah, yeah it was
2: awesome to i was able to capture my sixth texas state title pretty cool uh <laughs> that's amazing t- that it's more than any other state i've won in so <laughs> yeah that's a cool feat
1: yeah that is really amazing i mean you definitely got to be uh you're you're a legend everywhere you go, but in Texas especially, your winning percentage has been crazy over the years. Every every year you seem to, I mean, just playing in the wind and you got all that power with both uh, spins. I I just feel like windy putting. It just you're in your element down there for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. As a in, in Texas State's it's always at a new course every year. It's it's uh, some courses for Texas State's are wooded, some are open, like you said in the, in the wind. And so I think that that's just why I've had so much success. Is that it's not it's not always favoring a certain player it's 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 some some years it's in the woods and, yeah. and you know i feel like i'm a diverse player that i can play all different styles of courses and that's why i feel like i'm such a consistent uh player throughout my career no matter what the style of course is
1: yeah no question you you, you can't really design a course that's going to be t- that difficult for you because obviously your your skill set is super super well rounded and that's a testament to all the time you put in practice and like you said it's rep after rep and just kind of eat sleep and do it again But, uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, man, I want to kind of get into uh, a little bit of your history in the game and just kind of let people know in case they haven't heard before, kind of how you got started, ask you a couple questions. Obviously I don't know all the answers to these, so I want to start out just by saying you got a huge family and you're really close with them. And I know that some of them kind of help you with like your website and all that. But first question, how many siblings do you have and how many of them could hit a 30 footer with if you gave them five tries? (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's that's so funny i love that i love that that question so i've got eight total siblings including me i've got six sisters and one brother so for the longest time that was i was just uh just a bunch of girls in the house and that's a big reason why i went on tour i wanted to get away from all the girls and, and go out on tour and experience life but i you know i left i left the house early when i was like 16 and went pretty much went on tour, but, but growing up in the Waisaki household, it was fun. Lots of, lots of, lots of people, big family. When you're older now, it's awesome looking back and having so many people to, to talk to. And like you said, help with the website. My sister, Lauren, has been very helpful with, with growing the Saki Bomb brand and, and helping with the website, doing the, I have a subscri- Saki Bomb subscription where people pay monthly and they get cool Saki Bomb stamp disc and custom different things uh every month so so she's been helpful with that website stuff and uh and then I take my, my brother out to play. I'm trying to get him motivated to play disc golf. He's not he's not uh super motivated right now but he's a young kid, he's only fifteen so you never know uh what what the future will hold for him. Uh to answer your the question as far as how many can make a thirty footer on five tries, I think Zach, he's one. Uh Vonnie is a, a very good putter. That's she's uh my nineteen or eighteen year old sister she can, she can hit a, she can hit a thirty footer. She's a solid putter. I think she could, if she's thirty feet. I think she's. I'm putting her at five out of ten. She's a fifty yeah, percenter. Yeah. She's, she's solid. In no problem. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah, we got some, we got some good putters in the White plan. I think that, um, I think that my sister Vani is out of all of them has the most potential, and she's eighteen right now. And she's, I take her out as much as I can, try to give her, you know, uh get the disc golf bug to bite her.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: but but yeah, it's, it's been awesome. My dad's been super supportive, uh, for, from, for me and my career. And it's just awesome to have a big family and you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a great, great thing.
1: Yeah, man. So was it always that way with the support from your parents? Take me back to like, you know, 2009, I saw your first tournament was 2008 in the PDJ, but 2009, you really started ripping. Like you said, you're only 16 or 17 years old. You played 25 tournaments. You're Playing a bunch of amateur, but then also playing a ton of professional events and taking podiums and just turning down the cash, waiting for the M worlds, I assume. But mm-hmm. how were you, how are you doing that at such a young age? Were you just in the in the car and just were you, who were you traveling with? Was were your parents totally behind it? How did it all go?
2: Yeah, no. So so basically, what what happened was in high school I was big into baseball. My bat, my dad really pushed me into playing baseball. And I loved it. And then I eventually one day I just got kind of burnt out with it. And I was, I didn't really have the passion that I did when I was younger. And so that kind of ran its course. And I didn't, I didn't really like baseball as much anymore. And, uh, and it started transitioning to disc golf. And I, I, that's right. When I found disc golf and then, and then it came for high school tryouts. And and my dad was, you know, obviously pushing me to play baseball. He's dropped me off at tryouts and I didn't want to be there at tryouts because I didn't want to make the team. So I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, all right, well, how can I play more disc golf, but yet make my dad think that I missed tryouts and didn't make the team? Cause I was pretty good. I was definitely a good baseball player. No, definitely <laughs> good enough to make the, the high school team. So basically what I did is I went to, I went to tryouts and I started striking out on purpose and I like whiffed ground balls. Like, cause I'm an infielder. I played shortstop and I was like, I would like bobble ground balls. So that way I didn't make the team. Sure enough, I didn't make the team and my dad was thrown off so bad. He's like, what the heck? How'd you miss the team? <laughs> and, uh, and so it was the funniest thing that like, to this day like actually i, I think just recently in a, in a like a Jomez profiled uh video they i I kind of explained what happened. This was only like a year ago, so twenty six and that happened when I was like sixteen, and he found out through the Joe video that I botched tryouts purpose what so so he he kind of like was like he kind of came at me like well, what what was this i knew, I knew it was a little fishy at the time, but now I know all the details, all right <laughs> like <laughs> I'm glad he found out now after I became a world champion and kind of have the career that I've had, because, because once I missed tryouts, it was kind of when I started going on tour and he, at that point, he was not very supportive. He's like, you just missed tryouts or you didn't, he didn't know at the time that I, you know, botched it on purpose. And here I'm going to these tournaments, sleeping in my car, uh, and, and playing these, you know, C tiers in Ohio and, and all the local States trying to get my amateur points for amateur worlds and, and work my way up the ranks. And so, yeah, basically, my life was went from playing baseball every day to you know playing disc golf every day. Now I'm going to tournaments, sleeping in my car, eating off the dollar menu at McDonald's, missing cash at these you know sometimes C tiers, just getting myself out there. And um and so I, I guess it just goes to show that like just like anything you do, I mean, a lot of people see the success, but they don't see that like every, you've got to start somewhere. And and for me, it was traveling out of my car, sleeping in my Honda Accord, my front seat. Um, you know, eating off the dollar menu, waking up at the course and practicing all day and sleeping in my car and then doing that for like, like you said, 2000, 2009, when I was transitioning from amateur to pro, uh, I was I was a good amateur, but not quite good enough pro to make money. So I wasn't really cashing at these events. And if I did, it was like chump change. I was making, you know, tying for last cash, making like one hundred and two dollars and the entry fee was like one hundred and fifty. So I lost one hundred, you know, <laughs> fifty bucks. So so. So that kind of stuff was happening. And so my dad wasn't very supportive up until I kind of like the, the trend, the point where it kind of transitioned was like twenty two thousand nine. 2009, he wasn't supportive. He was still kind of ticked off about me not playing baseball up until 2011, when I was in the hunt at the major, the PDJ major that they transitioned from USDGC to the PDJ championship at Augusta. Yeah. Um, so I ended up, I was in the hunt and it was only a couple hour drive from at the time we moved to South Carolina. And, uh, and so he drove down And then and he he ended up caddying for me, which I was like thrown off. I'm like, wow, he's really supporting me. This is crazy. Because I was always my motivation. Like, since he didn't support me after the baseball incident, it was my motivation to to prove to my dad that I can make disc golf my career. And so I had to do it by performance wise and winning tournaments, playing well, and being like, all right, dad, here. Like this is this is how I show you that I can I can I can make my way in this world, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So so it's kind of a cool story to have your dad. To this day, actually, I'm glad that he did that because it made me motivated to to turn him to the you know to to support me after I started playing well. So it's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I just want to kind of throw this at you. I'm sure you're sort of aware of this, but I'm not sure all our listeners are. Like 2009, you're playing some amateur. You're you're a little you're a kid sleeping in your car. Mm -hmm. 2010, you're still a kid. You play 36 tournaments. You take fifth at a national tour. You play in the USDGC and you get to a thousand ratings. So wow, that was quick. 2011. (laughs) Like you just ex- alluded to, you win a professional major at the PGGA championship and you advance to a 1020 rating. 2012, now you're like not even 20 years old yet. 42 tournaments, $37,000, NT champion at the Brent Hamburg, second place at the Worlds and the USDGC, and now you're 1040. So that's <laughs> that's 10 t- 2011, 2012. 1,000, 1020, 1040. One of the best players in the world, just like that. I mean, incredible. You just, I guess your dad was a believer then. Yeah,
2: exactly, yeah. And yeah, it was, you know, obviously a combination of hard work, dedication, all that stuff. You know, the, the whole sleeping in my car until I was going to, you know, make enough money to be able to afford a hotel or had had a big enough name to where the local disc golf community wanted to, you know, host me or host family wanted to reach out because I was, you know, making my name in disc golf. So that was kind of my, my motivation is like, all right, well, once, you know, I'm going to do this until, until I prove proved to these people that you know I could I could be here and I have a name for myself. So so yeah, it was uh it was definitely a, you know, a, a solid transition. I think you know, twenty eleven into twenty twelve, I think I run I won Rookie of the Year in twenty eleven thanks to that PDJ major, like you said, that I won. And then yeah, you better win I rookie run. of
1: the year when you win a major. Yeah. Holy cow.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I went twenty eleven player the or rookie of the year and then twenty twelve rookie of the year the year after. I don't think any Play, player ever done of the that. year? Yeah, twenty twelve
1: yeah to open player of the year yeah and it makes sense yeah, i mean exactly. second, yep. second place at the world's and the usdgc in the same year just yeah. a couple shots you know that's like one little bounce away from yep. world champion oh, it's yeah. like it's crazy yep. but yeah man i mean what it's got to be one of the fastest rises anyone has ever seen and especially considering in 2012 you're still only 19 years old uh you yep. know so it's not like you were some seasoned vet exactly you're still a yeah, really exactly. young guy and just already up at 1040 i mean so just the hard work but also so much talent. I mean just the the way you ta- you took to it with uh you know your athleticism. Incredible. I mean just kind of set the sport on fire there and and haven't really stopped since if I'm honest. You've kind of been uh killing it ever since then. I mean the 2016 World Champion, the 2017 World Champion in Emporia and Augusta. Let's let's go to Emporia first kind of talk a little bit about how you remember that week and uh and you know winning your first big 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 major.
2: Yeah. No, I, I, thanks for bringing that up. But yeah, 2016 worlds was, uh, yeah, Poria, Kansas, hot and humid there. And, you know, for me, world's prep starts, you know, about world's prep for me started, like you said, in 2008, when I first, first started practicing, obviously there's a lot that transpired from then until 2016. But, uh, like you called out also 2014, I got second at the worlds 2012, I got second at the worlds. So there was a lot of times leading up to there that I had been super close. And, uh, and so, it's one of those things where you, you you get close and you hear, you know, the general public and the fans are like, all right, you know, get them next year. Get them next year as a competitor. That's like the last thing you want to hear. It's awesome that the fans are supportive. And so you're so I can put myself in the fan's shoes and I'm super thankful that they're, you know, supportive of me and telling me, you know, hey, get them next year. But as an athlete, you want to you know do everything you can to, to win. That's where that's why we're there. And so, you know, it's 2016. It was just all about the, the preparation before the event. And then executing, you know, all the shots that, that I practiced that I, you know, had practiced for years, not just the 10 days before the event. Um, but then, you know, there's so there's a lot of pressure that I put on myself. That's the that's for, for a top player like myself. That's that's the most pressure that I feel is when I feel like I should play well and my game's in a spot to where I feel like I should win. That's when I feel the most pressure. And so going into 2016, I, my game was feeling amazing. Uh, my, my swing was good. My putt was good. And I, so I knew my, oh, I had all the variables that it took to win a world championship before the tournament started. And so then it was just going through and executing. And like I said, that you know, you're getting the pressure from the world. You're getting pressure from each round. If you're in the lead or sleeping on the lead at a world title, like you don't, you just want it so bad that that's, what, that's all you think about. And even when you try to go to sleep, you're like thinking like, Hey, tomorrow's a big day. Like I can't sleep. And so, so there's a lot of variables that go into, you know you know, practicing for worlds. And then once you get into that spot and you get yourself in the hunt, and even from my case winning, and I was, you know, a lot of the rounds, I was sleeping on the lead and I wasn't sleeping because I just wanted it so bad mentally. So all I could think about is I focused all my mental energy when I'm trying to sleep as what am I going to do here? How am I going to handle high pressure situations tomorrow? What am I going to, what am I going to lean on if I'm I'm nervous and I, you know, feel like you know, I'm not super confident about a shot. What can I lean on form wise to think about when I'm under pressure? And so those are just things that I think about is before the, before the tournament starts, I just, I go through form things that in my head, I can make a mental note, say, Hey, when I'm under pressure, down the stretch at a world championship, what can I think about to, to throw a shot and execute it exactly how I want to. And so there was just a lot of mental um, preparation that went into it as, as, as well as physical. So uh, both things have to be on point, uh, to win a world title. And, and so it really was, uh, from, from start to finish, I was in, I was in my comfort zone mentally and physically. My game was in, was in a, in a great spot. And so that's, that's pretty much what it takes. And I was just, that was, uh, you know, great to get the monkey off the back as far as getting the world title. And, uh, and that was a great, great year. And it was awesome to, to, um, be a part of that and, you know, win my first worlds.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to, I feel like we can't, we can't not mention the 2014 Worlds when you brought up that second place. Cause if for any of our listeners that have come to the game recently and don't know about that, you gotta look up those videos. Cause that's a playoff, sudden death playoff. Paul McBeth, Ricky Waisaki. Obviously, Paul got the better of you there, but I mean, as close as it gets to, uh, mm-hmm. to being there, to winning a world championship there. And, and that was Portland, Oregon and one of the great battles we've ever seen in a world championship. So definitely are, are, if you're looking to some, something to watch some old disc golf to watch and kind of learn a little bit more about the history of the game, uh, I would say definitely check that one out. Put that on the top yeah, of the that list because in incredible battle.
2: Yeah, so totally. And, and it, the gallery was huge, some great shots and um just, yeah, the typical Paul Ricky rivalry at its finest for sure. Great. High yeah. double Play.
1: Yeah. And, and 2016, I mean, that had to be all all the sweeter for the fact that, you know, Paul was riding four in a row and it kind of started feeling like, well, what is Paul really going to just do a full climb here and go for nine? Yeah, 10? Right. What is he doing? You know, and then you come in there and get two in a row for yourself. And it's like, okay, maybe now it's this guy, <laughs> you know, that's yeah, like, right. you exactly. know, t- clearly you guys have been uh just the the dominant players of this generation and you're still fairly young, both of you. So, I think we can look forward to a lot more. We saw it in Belton with you guys going toe to toe and playing just golf head and shoulders above the rest of the field, and I'm sure we got more of it to come. It's a treat for the fans every time we see it. So keep it coming.
3: Right on, I will.
1: Sweet man. Well, yeah. So how about Augusta? What do you? Let's kind of kind of take us a little story of that one. How would how did you feel there? And uh, that one, I I was there just uh, briefly in Emporia. I actually got. I think I got to. I must have got to play with you because I made the lead card for one round. Unfortunately, I didn't stick around. But uh in Augusta. No, in uh, Emporia I did.
2: Emporia, okay. In Augusta I, I, play I actually. In Augusta too.
1: No, in Augusta I didn't no? play because no. I was there and I watched. But actually, my daughter Coraline was born, and you can kind of try to. I, I didn't play it because her due date was right near that world, so I just from yeah. the beginning was like, I'm not playing. But she gotcha. was born at. She was born the day you won, and it was at 5:30 p.m. So I mean, well, how close? But that, that had to be right to the around the putt. putt. Right yeah. around, right? Like.
2: That's crazy. Yeah. No, yes. Right around, yeah, no doubt. That's be, that's so funny. Yeah,
1: so I, I was kind of cool. like, oh, I was definitely right not to play, because it was yeah. what I thought. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. I was there like two or three days before she was born, because it was driving distance from where I was living in Asheville. So mm-hmm. I came down and watched you play one day. But, yeah, she was actually, yeah, born 5.30 p.m. on the day you won that second world championship. So I think within that's a couple funny. minutes, probably, of that tournament ending.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, no, yeah, what
1: do you remember about that one?
2: Augusta, yeah, no, Augusta was, um, yeah, so we played the, the Jackson course at IDGC. I remember that. And then we played Fort Gordon. It was like, uh, on a, on a base. Was was that a military base?
1: Yep. Yeah. The base is called Fort Gordon, I believe.
2: Fort Gordon, yeah. So that was, that was a solid course. So they were both pretty wooded. I think Fort Gordon was a little more open than, than Jackson was at the IDGC, but, So there was, um, I would say overall it's, it was a wooded, wooded worlds compared to like Emporia, which is more open and windy. So it's a test, a different skill set for sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, go heading into 2017. It was, it was like, you know, I, for me, it was, I, I I saw what it took mentally and physically to do what, what it took in 17 to win or 16. And so I was just all the variables that I did in 2016. I was looking back. I'm like, all right, well, what did I do? Two weeks ahead of time. How did I practice? How did I? And so I basically just just took the recipe, rinse, washed, and repeated, and and to a T. I just you know my pre- my preparation was was absolutely amazing. That's what I'm, that's how I gauge something. I can some of the tournaments that I win, I feel like I'm going to win before the tournament starts. Obviously, I'd like to do that in every tournament, but sometimes you just have that feeling. And um, Nate, I'm sure you know how it is. But basically, sometimes you just wake up and you're like, that week is is your week, and and it's and it obviously. There's, there's certain things that, that happen with, with preparation that build your confidence that make you think that. And so for me, uh, 27 seven and 2017, there was, you know, even, I think, I think there was even, there was, there was pressure, but it wasn't like as much pressure as the first one. So the first one, sure. you know, all the way through from first hold to the, till I tapped out, there was just immense pressure that I want, that I wanted to hold on so bad that I was just putting the, and so the, I think for me, it's crazy. And I want to kind of translate it to the, to the public but the, the pressure that I put on myself is more more um affects me more than if there was, you know, thousands and thousands of people there. So I think playing at the top level pretty much anything if you go to a baseball baseball stadium it doesn't matter if there's, you know, 100 people in there or if it's a full stadium, you know, people the top players that are playing there, you know, they, it doesn't it doesn't affect them any different versus, you know, when you, once you start playing at that level. And so I think that for me yeah, it's just crazy that I'm that I'm so competitive and I want to win so bad that sometimes it's not a good thing that I put that much pressure on myself but but uh, sometimes it's good cuz you got to have that motivation you got to have that drive to to want to win and you got to think you're going to win before you do. And mentally, obviously you want to be humble and I you know there's a lot of personality traits that that I try to try to um try to do when I'm, you know, in the general public and talking to people but like deep down when I'm talking to myself and I'm, you know, meditating and I'm thinking about what I want to do and how I want to attack and what mental you know mindset i want to be in to win this, this tournament is um yeah that's that, that's the biggest thing that i can remember remember about that about that tournament is just being in such a good physical and mental uh mindset and and that's what allows me to execute and play you know throw good shots consistently throughout the week and um and so yeah for me preparation starts like i said in 2016 usually it's about 10 days before the worlds i'll show up and play um a, a lot of rounds i want to play as, as many rounds as i can i want to throw in as many spots as i can obviously um trying to dial in my landing zones try and throw you know a bunch of different shots play each you know as many days as i can in separate wind conditions so that way it doesn't matter what conditions are thrown at me for tournament day i'm ready i've played in those conditions and so that's what's super important is getting discs throwing all your shots in different wind conditions you know um and landing in separate spots throwing shots from different angles. Go into certain angles on holes that maybe wouldn't be an ideal shot, but it might be a, a spot that you might potentially land in. That way you're not thrown off if you're a little bit out of position, um, in, in the tournament. So just that having that much practice before an event is super beneficial and, and building your confidence in it. Cause if you're in that spot or in a similar spot during the event, you know exactly what you need to throw, how you need to throw it to get yourself up there. And, um, and the biggest thing that I think, like you talked about with me and Paul's rivalry is, when we're when we're playing we have i feel like we have that you know that mental stamina mental capacity to to grind through and 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 we're so good at at um thriving off it and that's the thing is it's it, you know you can attack the nerves or let the nerves attack you and, and when i see a lot of people uh in, in a lot of rookies and new players that, that come up on these lead cards because there's a lot of new players nowadays there's a lot of people try to they try to go real fast before the nerves kick in. And that's probably the number one worst thing that you can do because it throws you off your routine, your forms off, and it just, it just throws you out of your comfort zone. So for me, the biggest thing I've learned just throughout playing out, playing under pressure throughout all the years that I have is, is breathing deep, slow down, take my time, go through my routine even more so. Then when then when you're under pressure versus when you're not, because your natural human instinct is to rush it because you're like, I don't like this feeling. I got to throw real quick before I get nervous. And so that's the biggest thing that sets me and Paul apart is we're able to do that. And we're not we're not rushing when we're throwing. We're we're calm, cool and collective when we're under pressure. And and so, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing that I think that I do really well. And I've learned to do and I learned my tendencies when I'm under pressure. Hey, when I'm under pressure, what do I do? If I'm, you know, playing for a world championship and I'm in the final round, you know, what's my tendency going to be on a, on a backhand, you know, Heiser flip shot or a, you know, a 30 foot headwind putt? What's my putt normally going to do? And how can I adjust to it to where I can play that? If I'm nervous and I, my putt normally misses low into a headwind, you know, adjust for it, aim higher and, you know, put a little more spin on it. All the different variables that you can counterbalance. The, the nerves with and so I think that that's you know something that I can take into every tournament that, and I feel like I have a leg up on most people because yeah I haven't made you know say a 30 foot headwind putt if I have a 30 foot headwind putt for a win I haven't made all of those but the ones that I have made build confidence and when I don't make them I see what I learn you know and so that's you always hear people say you know either I either I win or I learn and that's yeah. a great saying but it's hard you know if to dig a little deeper into the sports psychology behind that it's so true because you learn what you what you did wrong and how you can improve on it and then you can go practice that and you know the, how you practice that is you get yourself in that spot again again and again under pressure whether it's the worlds whether it's a big tournament you know an nt or whatever the, the the pressure situation may be and then and then you feel like you're more well equipped in the future the more and more times you get up there and and have that chance to win and have that 30 foot headwind putt so that's uh in a nutshell where you know my uh my uh take on playing under pressure and nerves
1: yeah man the mental game's so huge I I think certainly you don't win by accident and that what you said about knowing that you can win it's like it's a hard place to get to mentally but I do think it is somewhat a requirement to like to get in there and seal the deal because uh you got to believe in yourself first for sure but speaking of that 2017 season I mean a record breaker. One of the best seasons ever played. 29 tournaments, $79,000 won in PDGA money record. Never been beaten. 14 wins, 6 seconds and 4 thirds. I mean, that's incredible for 29 tournaments. So what you spoke to, I think you kind of already, already answered it, but your preparation, your physical body and your mental game were just peak and uh you know that's where you're always trying to get back to I'm sure it's just that finding that feeling it seems like Texas kind of finds it for you and then you know a couple other times every single season you go on a on a hot run like that as well in wherever you happen to be but but yeah man I I I love it I think our fans can can learn a lot from that kind of that approach and that confidence and the work you have to put into to be ready to uh to win one and I I definitely know what you mean like the two times in my life when I've slept on the final day lead at the USDGC and sleep is, is a word that doesn't quite fit. Cause like you're saying, you stay up, but both times Ricky Wysocki has been three strokes back and I've been staying um, up all night <laughs> thinking about like, yeah, you know, what is going to, sure. what am I going to do? What am I going to do? One time it worked out real terrible and the other time it worked out really well. So it's like, exactly you, you, the, and it's not, it's no accident that the first time was the one that went terrible because that, you know, that time when I had the lead, I like freaked out and blew up. And the next year I was like, whenever it was two years later, I was like, Hey, I'm in the same spot. I'm I'm three ahead of Rick. I already blew this. I know how, I know what it feels like to blow it. Let's try something else. And (laughs) and then, you know, and then I was able to kind of hang in there. So I totally, I totally get what you're saying there. And I think you can apply that kind of thinking even to like your local C tier, you know, for the guys coming up right now, just playing intermediate or advanced, you know, just believing in yourself and trusting your game plan and and getting out there. But yeah, man, really appreciate you kind of sharing that stuff with us. The next yeah. thing that I want to touch on that, you know, is that has been a huge part of your life. Uh, unfortunately, the last couple of years is the Lyme disease. And I know I don't want to talk about choices or anything like that. I want to talk about uh, how you feel, how you're feeling now. Do you feel like it's totally in the rearview mirror and you're done? Or is it something you're going to be battling for a long time? And, and, you know, how how is it going to affect your life? And how did it affect your life?
2: Yeah, no, it's, yeah, like you said, it's it's a rough, horrible thing. It's a terrible disease and it's unfortunately it's very prevalent in disc golf courses. So all the disc golfers out there listening, definitely pay attention, do chick tick checks. You always hear people say it, but from the bottom of my heart, it was the most traumatizing thing that I've ever experienced in my life. Um going from top level professional athlete, like you said, winning the world championships, being, you know, such a as great a player as I am and dedicated work and hard working person. Um, and then, and then to get bit by a tick and, and just basically overnight, uh, just not being able to walk, being bedridden, having to walk with a cane, uh, all my joints being fl- inf- inflamed from the, because in Lyme's basically an inflammatory disease and just attacks your joints. And so yeah, I woke up one day and basically so fatigued and so, you know, my joints were so inflamed that I literally couldn't get out of bed. And my, it was just, I literally woke up and cried one day and just basically thought my disc golf career was over. And, um, and yeah, I was just fully traumatizing mentally. It's just, uh, most depressed I've ever been, um, lowest point in my life, uh, mentally, physically, everything. And so like, you know, when you, you hear about sometimes these top NFL, not NFL in particular, but just top level athletes, they go from, you know, being the best in their sport. And then they, they go down this, you know, rabbit hole of depression, maybe it's drugs or whatever it may be. And I totally got a dose of that. Um, and I was only, what, 25 when I got diagnosed. So I was just hitting my stride. Uh, and so it, that was super traumatizing, but I made some changes with, um, with my lifestyle. And I I think that that ha- had a lot to do with me, uh, you know, being healthy, being where I'm at today. And, and so, you know, to, to let everyone take some advice from it is, yeah. Do some tick checks. Definitely um, spray stuff on your shoes. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can take to per, in precaution. Um, but yeah, Lyme disease is no joke. And and I uh, and it's, it, the one thing I can take away that's a positive from it is I changed my my health and wellness uh, outlook on life as far as my diet, my supplements, and all this different stuff for the better. So I know that if I if I eat crappy and if I you know do certain things with with my with my diet that it could cause it to inflame even more so i have to stay on a really strict diet which is great i'm a top level athlete i should be doing that anyway but the Lyme knowing that the Lyme disease is in my body and and um it's dormant as long as i eat well and and i and i do all the right stuff health uh um throughout my diet then i i'm not going to flare up so uh, so it's something where i can take a i can take a positive out of a negative and know that you know I it's almost a life or death thing to where I have to eat good otherwise I might not be able to walk because the line might flare up my my knees or my my arm or shoulder or whatever but I've been good ever since as as you've seen this year I've been firing on all cylinders no flare-ups and I think that like I said with my with my health and wellness game plan I'm working with a nutritionist now so I've got a um, 24-7 I've got access to a nutritionist he's got me set up on a on a nutrition regimen, I take supplements, I do hair analysis hair analyses, however you say that <laughs> um, and so, so I've got, he's he's looking out for me, he's actually had Lyme disease, he's had it for 10 years uh, but Lyme disease is something that you never really get rid of but you just basically it lies dormant in your body and you basically don't even know it's there as long as you have it under control and that's where I'm at right now and so the, the two years prior is, has been miserable but I feel like I've hit my stride now. I feel like I'm, I'm kind of, uh, my body's kind of over it. It's fought it and I'm going to fight it for the rest of my life and just by eating healthy. And so I think that, you know, that's, that's super, you know, a positive thing for me in my life that I can take a positive as far as eating healthy, taking supplements, getting a nutritionist on board that basically went through the same thing I did, um, to get where he's at today. And he's basically been totally fine for 10 years and I'm following the game plan, same game plan he, he is doing that's allowed him to, to feel good and, and not have any flare ups for as long as he has. So it's awesome to have someone to relate to going through this, such a traumatizing thing. But, um, but yeah, I'm I'm just pumped that I can be back to good health and, and, and be playing disc golf and doing what I do best. I'm actually yeah, doing, a, doing a, doing a tournament. They're doing a tournament fundraiser at at a GBO or DDO now it's called uh, in a couple of weeks in Kansas. They're doing a fundraiser for a, a charity And I'm picking the Lime or Foundation. I'm doing the Lime Foundation. So all the money that they raise from that is going to the Lime Foundation. So it's kind of cool that I can use uh, my experience with that and kind of help help other people in the future through this Lime Foundation that uh, the DDO is donating money to.
1: That's great man and uh, yeah, yeah I mean so so basically no more dollar menu you got to <laughs>
2: yeah. you got to stay we've, on the. we've graduated from that yes <laughs> yeah good
1: good and uh, and yeah man I I'm just really happy for you because it was really hard seeing you at the bottom and just seeing the the pictures and talking to you on the phone a little bit and texting with you and then playing some golf with you when you were kind of in the middle of flare-ups was just yeah. tough to see because I knew how much talent and drive and and um, fire was inside you and your body just wasn't letting you ha- do what you could do. So that was really hard, uh, to watch. And I'm just really happy to see you back and just firing away. And I hope, I hope it stays that way for you, man. I hope you can just kind of keep it going because it's a sight to see when you're playing well. And it was just, yeah, just, just really happy for you. So I'm happy, happy to, happy to hear you're feeling, feeling good.
2: Yeah. No, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome to be back. Sweet. For all that Sweet. kind words.
1: Yeah, man. Alright, so next thing I want to talk about is that that Waisaki putt, man. I think I've said this a couple times lately. I think it's the best putt I've ever seen. I want to know in your words, I got a two part question. What makes your putt so different from everybody else's? And can you teach it to me?
2: <laughs> um Okay, so yeah, so this is different for sure. There's a lot of reasons it's different. It's um it's something to where it's obviously as if all the followers and fans out there, you can see that I'm, I'm putting with nose down, but it's still going forward. That's the weird thing is I always see people when they take pictures of my putt, it looks like, you know, say I'm 20 or 25 feet away. It looks like my putt never got above the rim when it's out of my hand, but yet it goes forward, but still has nose down coming into the basket. So it's yeah. just such a weird trajectory. Um, but it's, it's funny. I remember when I, when I, uh, was first practicing, I used to be a super fast spin putter when I was growing up and, you know, young, I didn't care about any, I was never going to miss the basket. Right. That's my mindset. And then eventually (laughs) I, uh, I missed a putt and I launched freaking 30 feet past the basket and had a 30, 40 foot headwind come back. And I missed that. And then went down to like three or four putt. And then that's when I'm like, all right, that's not a sustainable putting style. I got to change something here. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to go with this high to low putt. And so my mindset was just, um, try and get this release down. So when I, first started doing it i just i started throwing basically just like so being a spin putter i couldn't throw the disc forward because of the way my motion or i couldn't throw the disc up it was just a forward spin yeah so for me it was like almost like when people toss a pizza up in the air you see those pizza when they make pizzas they just toss up in the air so i was kind of like practicing like that just throwing the putter up in the air and that's a good drill to do if you want to try and get your um the, the the style down is just throwing it up in the air to yourself a lot of people when you do that you just you actually spin it and it goes forward So if you're throwing it up in the air and just catching it and just kind of doing that, that kind of gets your feel for the fingers and how, how it comes off my hand. I think that the biggest thing for me is just adapt. I wanted to adapt a style that was coming in high to low to the basket because it has, if you think about it, just from, from a physics standpoint, that has the best chance to go in. If you're going straight at it and a line drive. Yeah. If you hit the, if I hit the same spot and a line drive putt versus a high to low putt coming in. The high to low putt might actually go in versus the straight at it putt might bounce out and glare, glaze off the chains. And yeah. so just from a physics standpoint and a speed standpoint, I felt like my, the putting style, once I got it dialed into how I wanted, obviously it took six months, a year, two years and still, you know, however old I'm 27 years old started it when I was 17 or 18, I'm always adapting. So I'm always changing little things, but the, the general concept of it is to try and get that putt starting high, hit your aiming point and come in diving into the basket. And so. Um, it's sometimes in the wind, it's not the best putting style, but, um, bearing not severe wind, which, well, you know, we're playing in wind sometimes, but, um, medium wind to no wind, it's the, it's, I, I, I think it's the best style, the most high percentage, the most, for me, it's the most repeatable, and I've just, uh, trained myself to do it, and I think that it's something where, you know, I, it takes, you know. I wish I could explain it to you, Nate, and, I, and show you. Say, hey, do this, that, and the other thing, and all of a sudden you'll be making <laughs> making putts in no time. But yeah, let's it's, go. Uh, yeah it, it, took, <laughs> it took it took a lot of time. I've actually been working with uh, uh, a, a, a younger kid, Jake Hebenheimer, on his putting, so I've been helping him a lot. Uh, he's just a young kid that's kind of showed interest in wanting to to work hard and 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 dedicate himself to to figuring out his putting. So I've been playing a lot of practice rounds with him the last couple of weeks. And so it's been nice and refreshing to to teach him and show him a lot of things that I've been working on throughout my career and just with my putt and with, with everything that's transpired to get my putt to where it is today. Um, but, yeah, just like I said, I'm I'm always learning. I'm always practicing. I'm always tweaking things. My putt looks the same to the general public, but behind the scenes I'm, I'm changing my arm swing. I'm messing with my timing. I'm messing with how I'm popping my fingers, how the – you know – So how my stance is, I'm, you know, straddle putt if I want to have a stagger stance putt. So all the different variables that go into a putt, I'm still messing around with. But I just have, there's a core, you know, principle of, of how the putt comes off my hand that stays very similar. Then I try to keep that consistent. And then all the other moving parts, I change a little bit to see what works, see what doesn't. And um and so, yeah, it's just just like anything. I'm, I'm no different than an amateur recreational player. It's always trying to get better. I'm doing the same thing. It's just on a smaller scale. I'm just, you know, changing smaller things. I'm not, you know, changing every part of my game. But just like any sport, you have to you have to adapt, you have to grow and you have to learn no matter, you know, no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, you're always learning. So it's uh, that can apply to to anybody's skill set.
0: Yeah, just to clear sure. that
2: up, Nate. Uh, just to
0: clear that up for you, that's a no. He's not yeah. teaching you. This. I, I kind of what. Yeah, it's,
2: it's That's what I figured. That's what I
1: figured. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense to me. I'm um, honestly, I take that as a compliment because that means you know he's a little worried. If I had learned the putt, maybe I'd be a little more of a threat. That's that's that's. Exactly. I'm gonna take that exactly. as a compliment. Clearly. Right. <laughs> I got to start throwing no, the disc right. a little worse and then he'll teach me. If I start driving a little worse, he'll be like, hey, man, I'm feel bad for you now. Here's the putt. Right, exactly. <laughs> then
0: I'll, I'll teach
2: you now, yeah. Sweet.
0: All right, cool. So I'll I'm learn an no, adventure. I'm no good, Rick. Can you teach me? I'm not going to teach you.
2: Yes, catch exactly. You're, um, you're, all, you're fair game. <laughs> just don't tell Nate. No, yeah,
1: just that's fair. Yeah, an NDA. I no, cannot disclose any <laughs> yeah. of this. All right, fair enough, man. That's, that's so I, I respect that. That's no problem. Um. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, uh, I know we've talked about it a little bit on, I think we might have talked about it on Showmez or Instagram Live or something, but every time I t- get to talk to you and I think about memories of you and me having some battles, we got, we've had some good ones. But two of them have pretty funny endings, and I thought maybe we could quickly touch on the the story <laughs> of the the 2015 Fort Silicon Open and then the 2016 Minnesota Majestic, because we were battling in both of these tournaments, and I think, you know, for me, it's like, You know, one, I know the, the one that I won was an A tier and the one that you won was A tier too, but it was the very beginning of the DGPT, so it felt a little bit bigger. But for me, it's like, it's the shot, it's like one of the shots that haunts me the most about my career. And I don't know if this, that tournament was quite important enough to you to haunt you, but it was probably the dumbest mistakes you've ever made in a tournament. So I I feel like we should tell the story because both of us got some, both of us got a nice win. But we also got the other guy kind of handed it away with a, a really embarrassing mistake. So let's start in 2015 in in Washington, where I'm only about okay. 30 minutes from this course now. Actually, I live pretty close to Fort Silicon. So okay. But uh, but yeah, man. Well, what, I'm glad we, I can we, give you some good memories. To yeah, yeah. Thanks, that. thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a tier. Um, coming down the stretch, you'd been playing well. I think I was one back going into the finals. Dave Feldberg was there. I think Nick Wood was also in the final. But uh, it was kind of like as good as done, because I think with, uh, one hole to play, uh, it was about a 400 foot hole. You ha you had a two shot lead on me and I had two over Feldberg. So I remember thinking, oh, this is over. Uh, you know, I got, I'm taking second. Rick's winning. Feldberg's Feldberg's third. It doesn't really matter. And what happened next?
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll try to explain it the best I can take over. So, so yeah. Uh, that point, yeah, it was it was it was still for me. I was I was pretty obviously ner- more nervous than Nate because I was winning. So anytime you're playing, you know, playing the final hole and you have have the lead, um, if you're in second, two strokes behind, yeah, you're not you want to win, but you're obviously thinking like, hey, I don't, I don't have that much pressure on me. I can just pretty much go for it. But for me, I had a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure that came with that shot. So stepped up the hole 18 for still So there's a mando that's about I would say 100 feet in front of the tee pad, something like that. And it's a little bit off on the right hand side. Now I was throwing a sidearm, I believe. Did I throw a sidearm, Nate? Or did I? No, throw the first,
1: the first T shot you threw backhand. I thought you would throw a oh, forehand, okay. but you went backhand. Yeah, again.
2: yeah. So yeah, I was, you know, perfect sign. I don't. When I'm under pressure, I I try to do the best I can to make the best decisions. But that hole is clearly a sidearm hole, and I decided to, that the nerves got to me, and I threw a backhand. Um, and this was like a left to right hole. It's a pretty solid sidearm hole. I don't know what I was thinking to throw backhand, but, anyways, I threw a backhand, and I ended up missing this Mando that I was talking about that's, like, 100 feet away. And it's, I would say that the, probably nobody in the entire tournament missed this Mando that I'm talking about this, the entire weekend. I mean, it's not even in play. But yeah, it's o- only
1: weekend. to, like, protect other people. It's not like there's a yeah, sweet route those, over there. It's, like, exactly, only to just, like just else, stop. Man-
2: but it doesn't really have to be a Mando. It's only a Mando to kind of separate these holes, right? Yes. It's not, it doesn't like affect the hole that we're on. It's just to, to, to save the other hole from like us landing over there or whatever. So anyways, I, I, I throw the shot. And it's so bad. And I was like, I was so bad that I didn't even, I literally didn't even like register that there was actually a Mando there because I was like, I never it wasn't even in play. And the next thing I know my disc is flying towards. It. I'm like, Oh my gosh, did I almost just miss this Mando? And then I'm like thinking like, Oh, I did miss the Mando. Holy crap. And then it kind of like dawned on me like, Oh, wow. And then Nate, Nate was in a spot where he was going to get a three. So, so anyways, I miss this man though. I'm like traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> and, like everybody in the, everybody in the group's like, what is he doing? Did he just really do that? <laughs> and, um, and I think I ended up getting, didn't I get like a kick way left or something over the fence? Or that was my second shot.
1: Your second shot, you threw a forehand flippy and I think it, fl- it flew the fence.
2: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that takes it to the the second second throw, which would be my third shot after the penalty. So I went to the drop zone, I believe.
1: Now, I, think I, re- I think you had a re-tee.
2: A re-tee, that's what it was, yeah. So I re-teed after I missed this Mando, and that's how bad the Mando is. There's not even a drop zone because of how it's impossible, basically next to impossible <laughs> to miss this thing. <laughs> and so I'm re-teeing, and, um, and I end up – I'm so flustered that I missed it. and I, I'm sure I rushed my shot or whatever. Anyways, I threw it, and there's a fence on the left-hand side that's also pretty much – not really in play for players of our skill set should yeah. be really in play, and um, I end up throwing over this fence, and now now I think I think I at least advanced up there. So I, when you, I throw over yeah. the fence, I'm throwing I'm throwing like four or something from there, so I get up and down from for a five, I th- I believe. Yeah, and you're Nate throwing you're like already me.
1: you're throwing five from the fence in for six from the
2: fence, yeah. And Nate's basically in the fairway, just getting an easy three. So now at this point, I'm like so flustered. It was like it was crazy that like. I went up to this whole two stroke lead, and next thing I know, I'm walking away, and I'm not even gonna, I don't even have a chance to win. It's like, it, it was like the weirdest thing that happened. And then, but that just shows you that what pressure can do. I mean, I, obviously I've, I've handled the pressure well, and I've succeeded in a lot of. Big big spots, but that's one that you know I'm I'm not immune to the pressure. No matter how many times I play in it, it's always going to be something that's there, and it's always going to be something that sometimes makes you do weird stuff. As much as you want to succeed and you want to do everything right, sometimes it just doesn't go your way, and that's just a true sign of that. But yeah, but um, but yeah, it was it was that was pretty traumatizing for sure for me, and then it was something to where kind of fell in fell in Nate's lap, and and he uh, obviously he ended up taking a three on that hole, and I think I took a six on a, like a 400 foot hole that. But yeah, it's a pretty routine three. I, I would say.
1: Yeah, uh, I remember I had kind of like given up on the tee, like okay, yeah. I, I'm not gonna win. I'll just put it in play, and then I then I remember turning into my caddy and being like, I don't even have to run this anymore, do I? Like I just won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Like <laughs> changed a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that so that was crazy. I remember it being one where I like won, but it it felt really weird to like celebrate because it was such yeah. a hard moment for you. And I just remember being like, uh, thanks, I guess. Yeah. To, right, like, the fans. Going, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, then it, I paid you back pretty quick because 2016, uh, we got to uh, uh, Minnesota Majestic right at the beginning of the Disc Golf Pro Tour. We're up there at Blue Ribbon Pines. I had, like, a, just one of my best rounds of my life to start the tournament uh, and had a big lead. And then the second day, it's 27s I th- or 22 holes or something. So, I can't. There might have yeah. been three days. I can't remember. There must have been three days. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Either way, it was kind of you were tracking me down. I had the big lead, and then we ended up tied. Uh, and we went to a playoff and the playoff was, I think just like hole one and hole 22 and hole one and hole 22 yeah. over and over and over. Yeah. And so we, we started out we're just making, making birdies, I guess on the first on hole one, probably hole one's yeah. real easy. It's like, we definitely didn't ever three that hole. We're just making birdies on that. But yeah. 18 is like this Island hole and it had like this ditch uh in front of the Island that you could go be there or you could like go up onto the Island and go be up there too. It was kind of crazy. And um, I remember – I don't even remember. It must have been like the fourth playoff hole or something, and you went out yeah, of we played, bounds. Yeah, we
2: played one twice, and this is the second time that we played 18, so it was a pretty long playoff.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think this is – so then I think maybe this is like the fourth playoff hole, and you I think you went out of bounds left on the
2: mm-hmm.
1: green, and I parked it like 18, 17 feet maybe, a little yep. bit of headwind. And then you, you went up there, you made your putt, which was nice, you know, cause then I couldn't just lay up or, you know, then I still had pressure on me. And there was this little bit of headwind. And I, I remember thinking about how I had had earlier, I had had a similar wind putt and I had like spit out and I just let my brain go wild. Like, well, you yeah. wouldn't want to have a spit out. You wouldn't. And I just freaked out, missed low with like 1,500 people right there, like a 15 footer for the win. Yeah. Just doink it low. Like most embarrassed I've ever been in, in my life, maybe. Cause I was just like the, one of those moments where you're all of a sudden your face feels a thousand degrees and you're just like, I can't yeah. believe I just,
2: like, everyone what? just saw
1: me do that. That was so stupid. Right, but I didn't, exactly. I didn't even lose. I didn't lose yet. I kind of lost because I was broke. I was a broken man, but I didn't lose yeah, right. yet. So then we go to the hole one again and I birdie that again. I'm kind of trying to get myself back in this thing. And then we go to the island hole again. And I can't even remember who tees off first, but I, I end up going out of bounds on the island similar to how you had. So I have like 25 footer and you go out of bounds much worse yeah. uh short at the creek. So you have like 55, 60 footer. And again, I'm like, all right, well, now I got I got another putt for the win. How lucky am I? Like yeah. I got another chance to win this. No, no, no. You go up there and go full raptor legs, bomb putt from the other side, make the thing from 60 feet, yep. just everyone freaking mm-hmm. out, screaming. And now all of a sudden I'm feeling like, well, I don't have a putt to win. I got a putt to lose now. Like, cause right, I, all, right, all exactly. I could do now is tie you with the 25 footer. And I missed mm-hmm. that one. Not as pathetically as the other one. I missed that one. Just kind of a normal miss putt. Uh, and yeah. you won. But yeah, man, that it's the, it's the first short one that haunts me still. And oh, I, totally. I, I just think I just love that story and love thinking about that, that we both had those kind of like just about as epic of fails as you're going to see at the top professional yeah. level. And it just oh, happened like, to be the other guy who was there to to take advantage <laughs> of us. Exactly.
2: No, definitely. It was crazy. Like, yeah, it's it's funny that like we both have the opposite feeling like oh, I didn't really win that, but I fell on my lap like it's different ways to win obviously yeah that, that winning like that you're like thinking like oh, all yeah, right i didn't really win he more of, more he lost kind of yep
1: thing. <laughs> yep i absolutely feel that way for sure well yeah. cool man thanks for thanks for being willing to share the embarrassing stories with all the fans because oh, i yeah. think now now hopefully everyone will have heard that story by now but uh i got two more quick things for you before we uh, get to some fan questions so uh, yep. the first one I wanted to ask you, just, uh, you know, other than a fistful of world championships, a ton more big wins, uh, I just want to know kind of what your hopes are for the future and what, what's Ricky Wysocki doing after his playing career in a perfect world? What kind of, what kind of goals do you have?
2: Yeah, no, thanks for asking that question. I know there's obviously I'm full of disc golf knowledge and stuff, but there's also a whole separate side of me. And for me, my career has, you know, my life basically has revolved around disc golf something where I love it and I want to, do as much as i can for the sport and, and everything and then when i'm when i'm done playing i think that i want to kind of been talking or thinking about doing it recently but um I, th- I would say the past like three years i've been thinking about it but buying some land i think that's the the disc golfer's dream is buying some land uh designing a course and having a championship uh, my goal is to have like a championship level course on the property and and uh maybe an amateur level so maybe like a you know, a par 57 and a par like 60, 65 or something. Um, on, on my property, I, I was looking in South Carolina, buying like around a hundred acres and having two, two, maybe three courses, depending on how much land I end up buying, having, you know, having a house, building a house on it and, uh, and basically just having that be my baby after I'm done playing, do clinics, do lessons and give back and to the disc golf world any way I can have hookups, RV hookups, have, you know, try to do like little cabins so people do weekend getaways. Um And I, I envisioned doing like, like what you talked about at BRP, they have all kinds of built up rock greens and water features, lakes, ponds. And so I've been looking at court at, at land in South Carolina that have all this stuff, rolling Hills, um lakes, um good quality trees, big, you know, big trees and stuff like that. So I can design a sweet course. And so, yeah, my number one vision is, is saving up as much money as I can and, and being able to to purchase land. And, and like I said, just to kind of live the dream through that, have people come play my course. Like I said, give back, do lessons. And I'm um, sure it'll be, you know, at that time, you know, if I'm, if I'm 40 years old or so, I think that's, you know, a good time to, to call it, call it a day from touring or whatever. Obviously, you never know what, you know, what the, what the future holds, but, um, you know, kind of, you not know, not retire from disc golf entirely, but from MPO and, and maybe just work my way into toning it down a little bit, not touring or traveling as much and, and focusing on the property and fo- focusing on growing the, growing the course and, and hold, hosting tournaments maybe potentially. But yeah, there's a lot of opportunities that can present themselves after I have the land and I have the course built, but that stuff takes time. And uh, it's something where I really want to do it right and, and have all the, you know, awesome landscaping and treat it like a golf course to have you know have memberships have people can come have a pro shop and just uh, have it use, utilize the disc golf um course as a asset in a in an awesome thing for the community to have access to an amazing property and and showcase the sport in an amazing light and and you know if, if pros want to come train and practice there that's great and if amateurs want to come play an amateur course and and just have fun and so there's just room for everybody to enjoy the sport of disc golf, no matter if you're a top player or a beginner, and so that's that's my uh, vision between having two separate courses on the property.
1: Yeah, man, you are speaking my language. That's about the exact same thing that I hope to do. um <laughs> I'll let you design a hole at my place if I can design a hole at your place.
2: Awesome, dude! All right, uh, two hundred and fifty foot pig shot coming in.
1: We need one of those. I'm we need
2: one of those. We absolutely need one of those.
1: No, no. Of those. <laughs> no I but yeah, that, that, I, I wish you the best, that, man. That's. That's the dream, yeah. and I hope I hope we both get there. That would be so fun to be able to yeah. have a, a lot of uh, ex players have have a situation sure. like that where you can buy game. Oh, probably Oregon. Ideally, yeah. it's a little more expensive than South Carolina, so I gotta I gotta stay on my grind, and get saving for, for sure, sure.
2: Right? Yeah, exactly. But I know. Uh,
1: but we'll we'll make it happen. I hope. Uh, totally. All right, that's man. Awesome. We'll. Last thing I wanted to touch on before we get to some fan questions, uh, unfortunately, I don't want to put a put a downer on the episode, but you know, some bad news: your older sister Lauren recently diagnosed with brain cancer. I wanted to know uh, how the GoFundMe was going and if there was a way you could kind of tell our listeners how they might be able to help. And I also want to tell you I'm going to donate the money that I make from the ads of this show to your sister's GoFundMe as well to help her uh, make sure she wins that fight.
2: Yeah, no, that's awesome that you uh, that you do that, and I really appreciate. Nate and everything the show has to offer for the Wysocki family right now with, with the donations from that. And that's, that's truly amazing. And it's awesome to see Nate specifically and then the disc golf world coming together for, for, for me when I need it. And, um, definitely looking to, to do the same in the future for whenever somebody else needs some help. But uh, as for right now, it's, uh, it's kind of tough for us. Yeah. It's anytime you have a situation like that where a loved one that, you know, has done so much for me in my career. Um, it's time for me to just, uh, yeah not be selfish at all. As much as I try not to be selfish, it's just pretty much all about my sister right now and, and doing anything and everything I can, um, to help her get through everything. And, and so, so yeah, we, we did create a GoFundMe so that way she can go through all the treatments and, and not just not be, um, not think about the, the price of what, you know, chemo or, uh, radiation and immunotherapy and all the different stuff that she's doing, um, that costs money obviously. And so, yeah, that puts a big damper on the family. And, and so, you know, all the stuff that's going, you know, the people that are donating and the GoFundMe is, is amazing. There's actually one of your collector pages, Nate. Someone, I don't know if you saw it yet, but yeah, someone actually, yeah, that's, so if you guys go to, um, I think, is it, I don't, do you have two collector pages, don't you, Nate?
1: Uh, no, I don't, I, that's the main one. Nate, Nate Sexton Collector one? Group or something. Okay. Yeah, or page. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, you can find on Facebook, but can you, what should people, uh, what's, her name is Lauren and, and could you maybe spell her last name or yeah. maybe first and last? So if people want to Google Lauren blank yeah. GoFundMe, then our list is kind of there.
0: We'll get some links so, shared. Or
1: we can link it up. Media. Yeah. That'll we'll work too.
2: Cool. Yeah.
0: All
1: so right. You perfect.
2: Guys can- so yeah, you can either go on Nate. I know if you guys see, I don't know when you guys released these podcasts, but I think that was going for another couple of days, but it'll probably be done by the time the people hear this. But yeah, if you want to go to the GoFundMe, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, Lauren Mays, M I M A Y S E is her last name now, now that she's married. Um, so, so that's her last name, Lauren Mays, and you can find it. I believe I'm posted on, on my Twitter. sakibomb 13 is my Twitter. If you want to go check that out and, um, check out the GoFundMe there and then, um, and, uh, yeah, you can kind of see the story, and we did a little bio as far as the backstory and, and stuff like that. Cool. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been awesome to see all the people in the disc golf world through, you know, your page, Nate, and, and people just random, uh, disc golf supporters and fans that really get behind it. And that's, that's what makes our sport so amazing is, is, um, not that I, you know, not that, you know, we're, you know, I'm all about, Benefiting all the time, but it's, it just makes me want to, want to give back in in any instance when I, when I feel the need to. And I see a situation where I, you know, I want to return the favor. That's what, you know, the, the first instinct that I get when I see all the support from my sister. And it's just amazing. And I want to thank everybody that, that's hearing this that has, has, uh, donated to the, to the GoFundMe or, you know, some people were just donating discs to, to the fundraiser. And that's amazing as well. So anybody that's gotten, got a, been a part of it. Just, uh, thank you so much. And I'll keep everyone updated on, on the status of that and um yeah that's just amazing to have this yeah. golf yeah
1: yeah well amazing we we definitely show. wish her the best and and hope it's a speedy recovery and uh and just want to say thank you to you as well rick for taking time to join us but do you have time for a couple of fan questions that our fans sent in for you
2: perfect yeah cool
0: awesome and uh and we got a lot of them and guys i'm gonna go ahead and uh share links to uh to the GoFundMe, um, you can find it on the Instagram and Facebook on running it with Nate Sexton. If you could just go ahead and, and shoot a dollar or two, whatever you can, um, you know, we would certainly appreciate it here from the show. Uh, but we've got a ton of fan questions. I'm not going to m- bombard you with all of them. Uh, but before we get started, I want to ask both of you guys this uh, because I- I'm really into the sport of disc golf and the important topics and the things that people are talking about. So Nate and Ricky, both, I'm going to ask you guys for a little speculative prediction here. Uh who is the hot dog bandit and why is it Eric Oakley? <laughs> uh,
2: that's funny. Um I think personally I think I think it's the entire Dynamic Disks crew in my opinion. I think they're all in on it together. I think they all funded the uh U disk um the U disk advertisement. I think that they're all secretly have a, a hot dog stamp in their bags. And they, uh, go around and stamp everybody's discs. <laughs> and, uh, while, while we're not looking. And that way it's really hard to pin it down and narrow it down to somebody. And that's why nobody's pinned it down yet. I think it's an entire team. So I'm calling out the dynamic discs team. I, I like think They're that. all doing it. Yep. I mean, have they got you already, Rick, or no? No, they have not, and so now after the, after this podcast, maybe I'm going to be more of a, more in the hot seat, and they're going to want to hit me more.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I haven't been out there for—I don't know that I've been out there on tour for the peak of Hot Dog Bandit. I've definitely yeah. seen the ad on U and that is <laughs> suspicious that they that Tina and Eric are going to those lengths of making the like faux documentary, right? And, uh, exactly, and you know, so that that does cast a little suspicion for me. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing my own research when I get back out there in Emporia. See if and yeah. that's going to be a perfect time to find them too if it is dynamic disks cuz they're going to be riding high they're going to be feeling confident they're at their home base that's when oh, that's yeah. our chance to catch them
2: yeah tons of cover yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that's when
1: we're going to catch them so yeah rick yeah, and rick like and nader it. on the case rick and nader on the case rest assured we're <laughs> going to catch them
0: all right i'm i'm looking forward to getting to the bottom of that one and i i told eric that i was calling him out and he said dude it's it's not me and i said well i'll use the same the same platform to apologize if i'm wrong but in the meantime i listen i don't make the rumors man i just spread them so that's that's (laughs) kind of that's kind of where i'm at on this um we had a ton of uh a ton of questions came in but i know we got a uh a couple of audio submissions um if you guys want to submit your audio questions for upcoming shows you can get us at running at at gmail.com but uh let's start off with an audio question
3: hey Jarrett, nate and rick uh big fan of the show thanks so much for uh fielding questions uh, also, thanks so much to Rick. Uh, I've seen him on a lot of stuff in the last few uh, f- last few weeks, so it's exciting to see him doing a lot more uh, podcasts and interviews. so appreciate his time as well. Uh, my question would be kind of similar to um, probably questions you've heard in the past, but I want to kind of dive in deeper to the uh, to that aspect of the question. You're always kind of compared to Paul. It's always you and Paul or the Paul versus Rick era. Does that ever get obnoxious to you at all for the constant comparison, comparison to um, Mr. Macbeth, or is that something that you kind of brush off? Because it seems to be that it's always the debate of who is one of the greatest players ever, and it seems to be him, Ken Climo, and then in this era, obviously, it would be between you both. You kind of stand alone. What would be the your thoughts on that constant comparison to him? Or um, kind of what you want your legacy to be. Uh, I know you said Saki Bomb is back, and I'm a big fan. I'm excited to watch. I've been rooting for you, so um, I hope you have a great rest of your season. And let's go for that third Worlds, baby!
2: Nice, that's great. Well, thanks for thanks for that that question, that motivation at the end there. Um, but yeah, I think that you know it's it's just part of how the the sports turned out. It's it's a lot of events like me and Nate have talked about earlier in the show. Is a lot of the world championships, a lot of the the big events, the NTS, the pro tour events, the majors. Uh, just you know, just comes down to to me and Paul a lot a lot of the times when we're playing at at our at the top level that we do frequently. Um, and so it's just kind of something that's nature. It comes with it's the nature of the beast, I guess. Is you know when you got two top level athletes just that happen to be playing in, in the same era, it's the way I look at it. Is is that you know we're we're both we're both doing our thing and it, and it arises uh you know, the, the level of play from both of us. I think that we both know that if, if he let, la- if he lacks and he has, a, a you know, a bad hole here or there and we're and, or I do vice versa coming down the stretch that the other person's going to make you pay. And so we're such intense competitors that I think that the way I look at it, as I look at it as a positive, I think that it's something to if I know what I'm playing against Paul. A lot of people compare me against him. And so that's more motivation for me in the future. So it just goes back to, it boils back to something that, um, yeah, there's a lot of things I could be proud of in my past, but you know, there's a whole future ahead that I can, I can, I can change the dynamic of of the Paul Ricky rivalry, and I'm, you know, I feel like that's my number one goal. Is um, I'm only 27 years old. I've still got eight to 10 years more of uh, top level disc golf play, and I'm, I'm, I dictate and I, I have the, I have control of my future, and so that's as a competitor, that's a really positive confidence booster for me, and knowing that I've, I've got, I think I've even got three years on Paul. I think he's 30, so I yes. think I've got um so we've got three years on them and, and it's something to wear. yeah it's a it's great rivalry and i'm glad to be a part of it honestly and you know nothing bad to say besides that you know we're great competitors and we we raise the level of the, of, of play for the entire sport and it's uh awesome to be a part of and i'm glad it's you know it seems like it's awesome uh storylines for the sport as well
1: you, man you just missed a killer chance to say well you know it's the nature of the mcbeast
2: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah that's funny but yeah that good is, good question
0: Good question. Good answer. All right. And uh, I believe we've got another audio question. Let's just go ahead and get that one in right now as well. Cool. Hey, what's up, guys? This
1: is Josh with Daddy Disc Golf. I have a question for Ricky. Ricky, recently I was invited to a collector page on Facebook that was dedicated to nothing but Ricky Wysocki discs. Surprised thinking to myself that there hasn't been a page like this long before.
2: Hopefully you've joined it by now. How do you feel about this page coming out? Do you like it? Do you not care? Um, And secondarily, bonus question, what's your favorite run of tour series pig? Awesome. Dang, thanks people give question. Ricky
1: people give Ricky problems for talking fast. That guy was flying. All right, yeah, he was <laughs> running it.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Makes me look slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, thanks for the question. But yeah, so it's definitely cool to have a Facebook page. I think the the coolest part about it is to have everybody kind of consolidated in one one place and and have everyone talking about your discs at the it's a pretty cool feeling to say, Hey, these people are part of a Facebook page that, that all that are collecting my disc and think it's awesome that my, that my name's on a disc. So more than anything, it's kind of, it's gratifying, I guess. And I'm definitely thankful for everybody out there that supports me, supports throwing the pig and, and, and has joined the Facebook page. It was funny. Actually, I reached out to one of the admins actually from your page, Nate, and I asked him if, uh, I was just curious, like, Hey, how did, how's it, how, what, 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 uh, what are the details? And how do you create a, a Facebook fan page or something? And, uh, or collector page i should say and then it's funny and then literally that day like i think right as i was talking to that guy a page got created so it's just funny just you know as soon as you put something out in the universe it happens it seems like and so that's exactly what happened i did some separate person just created it the same day i was actually gonna go about uh, creating one so so it's a cool feeling to have a have a page and have everybody kind of in one and and like you said this this page you know your page nate the collector page has started a a fundraiser for my sister so there's a lot of stuff there that that uh goes j- beyond just disc golf and beyond just collecting discs. it, it impacts families like the Waisaki family it impacts lives and uh, a lot of these a lot of these uh pages do a lot of amazing things for the sport and for just the world in general so um so yeah that's an amazing thing I'm glad to be a part of it and I'm trying to be on there and, and, and be active as much as I can to, to help you guys and support you and show my appreciation to the page as far as the the pig i enjoy the 2020 pig a lot i think that's my favorite run of pig i think that it's a flat great feeling for sidearm the plastic was great came in a lot of cool colors and i just really enjoyed how they broke in as well so there's a lot of different things that that i enjoyed about the 2020 the 2021 i haven't had spent too much time throwing so that may change in the future but right now i'm going with the 2020 nice and flat and great for sidearm approaches that's what i need it for
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually looking forward to joining your page, Rick. I, uh, I attempted to join Nate's, but after I submitted my bank statements, I didn't meet the financial requirements. So, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not in, I'm not in on that page right now, but.
2: That's so, uh, are you referring to like all the questions you have to answer?
0: No, just, just the amazing prices that they sell those Nate Sexton and Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha.
2: Okay. They saw, they saw the bottom
0: line, me having three kids, and they said, you know what? We just don't think you're going to be a player in this group so uh, we yeah. we thank we thank you for applying, but um why don't you check the fifteen and under group and uh so that's that's, that's where i'm Not at fun. right now got a lot of fun questions here. Um, James asked from Facebook if for some goofy reason the world championships were bring your own partner doubles and you got first pick, which of the touring pros would you choose to be your partner, and why
2: cross sponsorships allowed uh. I would say, I would say Drew Gibson. I would say he's, I feel like he would be the best match with my game and his game. He's an amazing thrower. That's his specialty. I think he's one of the best throwers, smoothest throwers, best form has a ton of distance. Uh, and so I think that his game, uh, his drives and his, his swing paired with my putting would be pretty amazing, uh, combination. And so I think just for that reason alone, if I had to, Pick a partner would be him just because of how, how our games complement each other. And I think that's a huge thing in doubles. And so, yeah, it'd be really fun to, to try that. I know there's been a doubles, DGC doubles version in the past uh, years back, but I wish they would bring that back because I think that would be an awesome, a really fun format that I think that would showcase a lot, of, a lot of fun shots. And so Drew Gibson's my pick, and I hope we can get, uh, get together to show the world what we can do someday. Nate,
0: who are you bringing?
2: Don't say Big Germ.
1: No, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be a big germ. Uh, no offense, buddy. Uh, let's see. It's tough, man. I, I, I think, you know, on paper, you'd be a little bit foolish to leave your Paul McBeths and your Ricky Waisakis on the table. So I gotta say, you know, one of them would probably, if I, if it was like life or death, I probably gotta pick yeah. one of those two guys. Uh, the other guys I think about being really fun is Garrett Gerthy, because I, I think the same thing like you're talking about with Drew, that we like have such different skill sets that it's like, uh, it would be interesting and kind of cool to be like, yeah, you know, I I'm really really consistent, so I can like allow him to like be as as Garrett as he can be, which is like a fun <laughs> yeah. idea to think about. And then uh, sure. also, I think Kale Lavisco would be really fun because I think we could never miss a hole under 450 feet and just try to scrap it out on the rest of them. And that, that <laughs> for sure, that, that would be like kind of fun too. So I, I don't know. Polar I,
2: opposite I, partners, polar opposite styles. Yeah, you I know, say like, if, if there's if there's a match.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. But, yeah, I it's I hope I get the chance to pick someday, and I hope I get that first draft pick. That would be cool.
2: <laughs> that would be cool. It would be like a doubles draft.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think it's great that you picked Drew, too, Ricky, because I, I don't know if you remember, but a couple years ago, the Internet blew up, and I actually sent you a message on Facebook Messenger, and I said, uh, hey, man, you, uh, you, you put a picture up on Instagram, and there's an Innova box right behind you, and everybody's going nuts about it. And you were like, Oh no, 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 that, that's not mine, man. Drew was here. Those are those are Drew's discs. And uh, <laughs> and then and then and then oddly enough you announced your sign with Innova just a, a few days later. So um, That's so he, funny. He's your he's your scapegoat and all things also. Yeah, exactly.
2: So. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. I think, I think he pretty... was actually touring me at that time. I don't remember all the details, but it could have actually been Drew's box. You never know.
0: Yeah, either way. Um <laughs> Either way, he was there, he was there to save it for you. Um, yeah. All right. So we've got, uh, Lincoln from, uh, from the sends into an email. Uh, Nate, you throw the dart and make 03 forehand. Have you ever messed around with a pig and why not? And what would it get you to take you to bag one? Rick, we got to convert them. <laughs> right. I,
1: okay. I, I want to be converted. I need, I need it. I'm on, I'm, I'm on the hunt for this 2020 pig right now. Like I I've tried. Uh the thumb track thing is a little tough for me. I find I don't know what it is about the depth of the pig or really like any mid range that I've ever thrown, uh, when I try to power up on it, I find that I like miss my line left. Uh like I hold onto it a little bit too long compared to a driver. And I've never really like gotten over that to where I can like confidently rip mid ranges through. But the pig is a great option for that kind of thing. I try the Cayman as well. Uh the Mako three and the dart, like yeah, I've thrown them forehand. I've thrown some, especially with that Mako three on that one day in California when I made those two. That that made yeah. it seem like I do that a lot. I don't do yeah. that a lot. <laughs> that was like a skins match strategy. Like I don't. That's not like a part of my game. I wouldn't say is the Mako three forehand. You don't see me go, go to hands, that.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, or just throwing it at all really for a forehand. I don't yeah. really do that. But it, but it, in a, in skins it was working that day. So yeah. But uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm on the hunt. I'm looking for this 2020 pig. I'm gonna give it another try because I absolutely want to throw it. it. The way Ricky throws it, I I want to do that because it looks a lot like, you know, if I could have a a Sexton Firebird at every speed, I'd be all right. Because if it goes flat and then fades, you know, that's like all I'm looking for. It's right. like a slow one, a fast one, and and uh, the pig Ricky makes it look that way. So I just need to learn to throw it like him. And, uh, while I'm learning that, try to maybe get a little sneak peek at the putt and then I'm there.
0: <laughs> and then you'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Oh gosh. W- w- one of our go to's here. Uh, Jarrett from Buffalo asks, uh, Rick, what was it like switching from Innova, leaving, going to a new sponsor, coming back to Innova, what kind of changes did you feel was Innova just the right fit for you? Was switching up your bag that different? Did you notice the difference in in playing for the different sponsors or are, are you just out there killing it with whatever's in your bag?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a great question. I know people see players moving and changing sponsors, so they're just curious how it affects your game. And I think it definitely does. I mean, I think each set of discs have it has a different um, way of they fly a little differently. I mean, I think that, you know, my swing changed my, the way I throw discs changes a little bit based on who I'm sponsored by and how the discs are genuine, genuine, generally flying. And so going from like, let's say prodigy, um, which at that point I was sponsored by prodigy when they didn't have all their molds. And so I was able to throw, you know, I was able to throw, you know, some AVRs and firebirds as well as some prodigy discs because they didn't make all the molds. So, um, I think that it just, for me, when I was sponsored by Prodigy, the fact that I was throwing ABRs, throwing firebirds, even when I was sponsored by Prodigy showed me that like, hey, yeah, I think that was always kind of been in the back of my head, The this is the company that I've always liked, even, you know, even if when I was not sponsored by them, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm doing my thing and, and I'm, you know, doing the best to, to pursue my career and you know best opportunities that i can you know make for myself and in my career to to reach all the goals that i want but yeah it's definitely a change disc wise is definitely your your whole new bag of discs it takes you know i would say a couple months for me uh to really feel comfortable with all the discs breaking in discs to get them to where you want them and um and so uh, there's definitely a learning curve definitely you know it's what's the saying it's not the it's not the arrow or it's not the archer it's the arrow kind of thing or, or it's not the it's arrow not it's the archer
0: arrow it's the archer man
2: yeah, exactly. So, so that's definitely true when, it, when, at our level. But at the same time, there are some new differences that can be some, can affect some strokes down in a tournament if you're playing a long tournament. So, but yeah, it's, you know, being sponsored and going through Prodigy to Latitude to Innova, just, you know, Innova is awesome. They make, they make great discs. They're really receptive to, to new things. I think that, you know, with, with the pig and, and everything that I've got going with that, it's been, it's been a great branding experience for me and just promoting such an awesome disc that i love and and it compliments me as well it explains me to a t because i love throwing it and it fits my game so well i think that um partnering with a company that does that and sees the vision of how i compliment something that i'm really good at is amazing it's a good feeling to, to have that from a company and and so yeah i'm happy where i'm at right now and i'm definitely um thankful to work with all the other companies that i've been sponsored by as well they've all been great and they've all been um super supportive of me and i'm you know don't have don't have much bad to say about the the companies that i played for in the past and it was it was a you know great thing and i i i just love disc golf i love you know being sponsored and supporting company the companies that i did in the past and so it's uh it's been a great great run and i'm super excited for the future uh with innova they've been they've been the most supportive out of all of them
0: Absolutely. Now to follow up on that, uh Ethan from Instagram asks, uh Nate, were you at all involved in Ricky's move to Innova? Like did did did, did Dave give you the the corporate card and have you wine him and dine him and explain to him all the amazing things about coming <laughs> to team Innova? How does that how does that work?
1: Uh yeah, I mean a little. I I wasn't uh I was I was talking to him obviously, but he'd already been with Innova before, so I think he knew what was going on. What I think I can share is the season that off season that we were kind of trying to make sure we added Rick uh Kevin Jones was also kind of like a free agent and he was a really promising young player he wasn't quite the Ke- Kevin Jones we know and love now you know he was just kind of starting out and i remember taking him to dinner uh on the company card and talking to him about what Innova had to offer and all that and then you know he was going he had a lot of companies coming at him and I remember, you know, his, his asking price was going up, which makes sense. You know, why not? If, if companies are offering things to you. And I remember at a certain point kind of going, we got to put all our eggs in the Rick basket. I mean, this guy is one of the all time greats. Like, you know, we can't afford to let this guy get past us. Gotta have Rick on the team. So that, that was, that was my input in a, in a way. No, no slight against Kevin. But as we were trying to like decide our, our signings, it was kind of like, man, you know, Kevin is a lot of potential but unproven at this moment. And Rick is like proven time and time again, you know, that he's like one of the greatest. So I was in, I was all the way in the Rick camp at that moment and saying, Hey man, let's do whatever it takes to get Rick on the team.
2: Yeah. No, I appreciate that. man. thank all the kind words. and Thanks for doing that. Cause I'm glad I'm where I'm at. And I'm you know, definitely appreciative that you helped uh, make this move happen for sure. I remember at the, at the pro tour finals, I talked to you. Yep. Um, where was what year was that? Was that 2016 or 17?
1: I think maybe 17. It okay. was when it was in in Jacksonville, right?
2: Yeah, Jacksonville. I remember talking to you a lot then, and you kind of uh, sharing details back and forth. But yeah, that was when I kind of really realized I wanted to be be with Innova, and yeah, you definitely had a lot to do with that. So thank you. Yeah, man.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I can edit this out, man. I don't know if there's tampering laws like in the other major sports, but I don't know if you guys could be having those conversations during that time. Oh yeah, Yeah. like we can't. Yeah. So far, so far, so far
1: we're good. So far we're good, but yeah, that might be coming down the pipe. I don't know. Right. And I, yeah, I mean, obviously we would have loved to have Kevin as well. No, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to take away from this that I was like anti Kevin, but if I had to make a choice, I'm taking the two time world champion.
0: Thank you. Thank you. All right. I got to, I got I to gotta ask one more, Rick, because this question came up so many different times. And, um, I think this guy actually might be trying to get a little burn off of me because he, he, he says he's Harry from Buffalo, but there's, there's Jared <laughs> from Buffalo and then there's everybody else. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but Harry from Buffalo, they ask, and I've got this 20 different times. So I apologize to the other 19 people that asked. Everybody knows about the rivalry on the course. What kind of relationship do you and Paul McBeth have off the course?
2: It's uh, it's, it's been pretty uh, as far as much as we are fierce competitors, and we play all the time. And and it's it's kind of like we don't really have a relationship, I guess, so to say, off the course. Just because I think over the years, I used to travel with them at a certain point, and then once I once we traveled together, um, and we, you know, I think this was back in like 2012, I believe. Uh, we would travel together. We, you know, used to be pretty close friends. And then once we started competing, playing every week, week in and week out, playing with each other, staying in the same hotel, it just kind of got like to a point where like, you know, I think it just kind of naturally we were competing for the win every week and, you know, grinding. And it's just like, so the com- com- competition started leaking over into our like personal lives. And so it just kind of got a little weird. Um, and so then thereafter, it just, it's pretty much been. Just business between us will, will shake hands and, and, and say, you know, congrats at the end of the tournament and, you know, good luck before the tournament. And, um, and that's pretty much the extent of it. I think just the rivalry throughout the years has transpired to the point where it's kind of put a damper on the personal side as far as that goes. Um, and that's, you know, nothing wrong with that, but that's just kind of how it's, how it's played out. And, um, and yeah, so I think it just goes to the fact that, you know, rivalry and competition can, can cut deep sometimes. And um, and yeah, so that's kind of where we're at right now.
1: Very
0: politically
2: correct. I like that.
1: I just think that's how sports works. I mean, yeah, it's it's just that's how. Like, when has there ever been a time? It's like when when you're at the top of any sport, the the, the one number one and number two guys, or the one and the one a, they're going to be the most intense competitors you're going to run into. And when have those guys ever been like, "Yeah, we're number one and number two, and we're going out for pizza after the, the round, no matter, <laughs> exactly. no matter who wins"? Like, it's just yeah, not how it's it just works. A you're, world you're championship. Just, you're yeah. fighting too hard against each other, yeah. and there's two. You guys, you both want it too much to be like the best of friends. I think it's respect, and totally. I think it's you know, but it's not a yeah. And I, I don't, and I think anyone who who expects you guys to be the best buddies is kind of crazy. They don't know what it's yeah, like it's to kind of... to try to fight it out at the top level
2: not realistic and it's something where you know down the road when we're 35 40 years old you never know it could be like hey dude that was a great run you know share thoughts share memories that's definitely something that i think could possibly happen um and i hope it does you know but right now it is what it is and there's it's not good or bad it's just you know that's kind of like you said nature of the beast for the situation that we're both in and you know the fact that we're both playing at a high level and i think that's going to continue to the future and like i said future we may be uh you know, both having our private courses and be uh, hopefully well off to the point where we're like, all right, dude, let's let's share some memories. That was some crazy times we had in the past, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so I hope that I hope that happens in the future.
1: Yeah, let's go race McLarens on the weekends
0: or something.
2: Exactly right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, perfect. I like it. I like it.
0: Perfect. Well, Rick, you've uh, you've answered a, a ton of questions. You, you've been an amazing guest. Um, I guess the last thing that I want to ask you is. The official snack of running it with Nate Sexton right now is double G's beef jerky. Now I know you're on a pretty strict diet, but have you had an opportunity to try any of that yet?
2: I am on a strict diet and, um, actually it's funny. Um, Garrett said he was, he was talking to me the other day and he was talking about how trying to make me like a grass fed, um, they use grass-fed meat for the beef jerky, which I, I'm, I'm pumped for. I try to eat, try to eat organic, grass-fed meats as much as I can. So he was going to try to do that. So I'm gonna talk to Garrett and see. I've, I've tried it. It's amazing. It really is a good product. And I'm, it's awesome for Garrett that he's he's doing well with that, and people are loving it. And uh, yes, I have had it. And Terry, he uh, we always used to joke back in the day, and he always called teriyaki flavored beef jerky. you always call it teriyaki. <laughs> Terry Saki beef jerky because <laughs> that was my nickname, Saki Bomb. So it was just kind of funny. Uh, so he calls it the Terry Saki flavor. So the Terry sake flavor was great. I tried that one. I haven't tried any of the other ones.
0: They're all good. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Well, the only thing that I can ask from you Rick is that um, you know, you, you don't be a stranger and we get a chance to have you come back on because I think we barely we we just scratched the surface on on your playing career and it's been amazing being able to have you on. Uh, I saw that the ratings just came out 1055, which is a new personal high for you, correct?
2: Yes, sir, it is. Big time. Awesome. Big, awesome. Yep. So
0: yeah, we would, uh, we would love to have you back whenever you can. Uh At this point, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you, plug your social medias, your websites, if you've got discs to sell, anything you got going on, let the running it listeners know how they can keep up with you.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that opportunity. So basically I have, I'm pretty frequent on Instagram Post a lot there, Post a lot about what I'm doing. Tournament's coming up. Check out Saki Bomb 13 on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, that's my handle on both of those. Uh, I got some cool YouTube YouTube uh, stuff in the future, so I got a YouTube channel that I'm working on, and um, and yeah, that's I got a Facebook fan page also, Ricky Saki Bomb Wysocki. and then like we talked about the collector page, that's becoming pretty popular. People are uh, posting a lot of cool discs and a lot of cool things happening in the in the Saki Bomb world. So so check that out. And normally I have a website, SakiBomb.com, uh, with all my sister stuff. She's the one that handles that, so that's on temporary hold. Uh, but normally, uh, SakiBomb.com is loaded with uh, gear and, and uh, SakiBomb branded stuff that you guys can support with, and uh, I'm really happy with with how that's been going. So, um, thank you guys for having me. Really glad to to share some thoughts, and thanks for setting me up with great questions. It's uh, it's been a pleasure being on the show, and I'm excited to hopefully be on in the future as well.
1: Yeah, man, we really appreciate you taking the time, and best of luck at Jonesboro. I'll be on the on the call with uh, Disc Golf Network, and hopefully. You can make so many putts that I get another 10 birdies in the row uh, uh, at the course if you can inspire me again. (laughs)
0: Awesome. I'll be watching.
2: Thank you guys so much. Glad to to be a part and uh, good luck with the show.
0: Yeah, thank you, Rick, man. And uh, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. I'll see you in Kansas
1: and we're going to find that bandit. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) All right. Yep. Dynamic disc. We're coming for you. All right. Well, Nate, once again, you lined up an amazing guest for us. Um, You know, Ricky is just – You know, he talks as fast as he putts and he's just a lot of fun. What a great guy and uh, and really exciting for the listeners. Um, It's just awesome to have Rick on, man.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's just like to do this show, you know, I got to kind of open up everybody's PDGA history and kind of dig into some stats. And Rick is just he just doesn't get enough credit because of Paul. But he, his career, I mean, he's only 27, and his career has just been phenomenal. He's one of the greatest players ever to live. And it's like, I don't think enough people talk about him in that way, but I think we will be talking about him that way when he hangs these things up because, you know, he's he's just incredible. To watch him, watch him operate at his best is uh, an, a really amazing thing.
0: Absolutely. Now, Nate, real quick, I'm going to plug in another fan question. This one was specifically for you. And uh I-, I think this one might catch you off guard a little bit here. So Eric from Kentucky writes in, my wife and I are having a baby boy soon. We're considering the name Nathan, since according to Jarrett, if your name is Nate, you're a good disc golfer. But we're having trouble with a middle name. What's yours? <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, that's cool. Uh, my middle name is Michael, and uh, it's probably about the most common middle name there is. But all I know is that it's my, my grandfather and my dad's middle name. Uh, so it's my middle name. And if my if Coraline had been a boy, I guess I would have kept it going. But, um, uh, but yeah, Michael. If you want to use it, feel free. I think it's probably one of the most common middle names. It's Paul Macbeth's middle name.
0: It's, well, it's Cash. So I guess being middle name Michael also helps playing disc golf. Uh, and you
1: want to know or- what Ricky Wysocki's middle name is? What is it? Nathan. Wow. You just blew my mind. So you can't I, go I, wrong. You cannot go
0: wrong with that name. Yeah. So if he wants to go Nathan Michael or if he wants to do like Nathan Jarrett from Buffalo or like, how you know, whatever whatever middle name he wants to plug in there, would I think would be fine. But, um, you know, watch out, man, because people are naming babies after you now. That's what That's it's coming cool.
1: to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's an honor.
0: So I guess now... We can kind of let the cat out of the bag because Ricky Waisaki, huge show. Um, you know, the number one rated player in the world right now. But Nate, you lined up a doozy for our next episode. Should we let everyone know who we're going to be running it with next?
1: Yeah, this is the one. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is not the number one rated player today. This is the number one rated player in the history of the universe. This is Mr. Ken Climo, the champ, 12-time world champion, a guy that's not done a whole lot of interviews uh, in the last couple of years or really ever since Disc Golf Media has blown up. So, I mean, it's he's the guy. He's the, the absolute guy you have to talk to, more important than any other guest will probably ever have in terms of how – uh how much he knows and how many stories he has and the life he's lived um dominating the sport throughout the 90s and the early 2000s I can't wait to hear his take on some some of what's going on today and hear some stories about from his dominant years and hear how he got started even playing I I don't know very much of any of that so Mr. Ken Climo has agreed to come on the show I I did a happy dance after I got off the phone with him it's that it's that important for us to to get to talk to him and share some of his
0: stories I am so excited for that one. Um, I I think that the fans have been asking, you guys can finally stop sending the messages like, Hey, have you ever thought of having Ken Climo? Yes, we have thought about it. And, uh, and Nate was able to finally lock it down. So, uh, guys, mark your calendars for that one next Friday. Ken Climo will be dropping, and uh, it's going to be an amazing show. Um, remember to check out our sponsors over at FisherDiscGolf.com. And, of course, if you guys want to pack a little snack for your round or as you guys are watching Jonesboro uh, or any of these upcoming tournaments, Check out double G craft jerky. Um, you know, getting a great snack, helping support our show, uh, helping support kids to get their PDGA junior memberships and, and helping support Garrett, who's just an awesome guy. Um, it is so important to, to support our sponsor. So make sure you check them out. In the meantime, Nate, gosh, we just had Ricky on the show. So I don't even think we have to talk about laying up, right?
1: No, I got the slow mo on loop here on the putt. I'm, I'm in the lab right now. And yeah, uh let's just say I'm running it now that I know what I know. Yeah, we got to run it. Guys, we'll see you next week.